This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, January the 19th, 2023. Where has the month gone by already? Coming up in the second hour of the show, Sean Priest will tell you about the Biped GPS Navigator. And Don Dickinson's will discuss the concern over period tracking apps in the fight for abortion rights. Before Brock Richardson comes in to talk a little sports, there are a couple of news stories that I want to share with you, including a note from the world of international politics. New Zealand, New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is stepping down. And then my term as Prime Minister will conclude no later than the 7th of February. Ardern says the time is right to step away. I am leaving because with such a privileged role comes responsibility. The responsibility to know when you are the right person to lead and also when you are not. I know what this job takes and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. Ardern reflected on her time in office. Anyone who leaves this place thinking that the job's done didn't have enough of a to-do list. Uh, Of course, there will be things that I wish I could have continued working on, but I also have no regrets. Ardern served as PM for five and a half years. And one more story for you, and this one's interesting. North America's largest concert promoter has a date with U.S. lawmakers after a ticket-selling fiasco. Jason Nathanson explains. November 15th, 2022, a dark day for Taylor Swift fans. Millions brought to tears and anger over their inability to get tickets to her upcoming tour, many blaming Ticketmaster and alleging monopolistic business practices. Are you ready for it? And the Senate Judiciary Committee is digging in, as promised, holding a hearing January 24th to look at those accusations of anti-competitive behavior by Ticketmaster and its umbrella company, Live Nation Entertainment. No word yet on a witness list, so we don't know if Swift will be called to speak now. Jason Athenson, ABC News, Hollywood. That's your look at a couple of news stories. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, one of the... Brock, one of the things I love is that we have these conversations every day and sometimes we just run out of time and there's a thread we want to tug at from a conversation that we don't quite get to. Yesterday, you and I were talking about whether or not the Olympics should exclusively be a place for amateur sport. And I used this expression a couple of different times, best on best competition. But because we were squeezed by the clock, you didn't get a chance quite to respond to that using your own experiences as a Paralympian. So what did you want to offer up on my thoughts around best on best competition so it even happens in the paralympic world and i wanted to delve deeper into my own experiences i've been to two paralympic games uh one time in 2008 uh, in beijing and the second time in 2012 in london england the first time we went uh it was a um round robin format for both of our our disciplines team and individuals so that means we were in a pool of either three or four and we would play uh the the necessary games depending on what pool we were in and then uh after that uh games of course then you get the new cycle and the desire to change things around and it started coming out that they wanted to change the format in how these events were played and they decided they were going to do their own version of best on best in that uh, for the individual portion, they would play um, the knockouts where if you won, you carried on. If you lost, you were done. It's sort of similar to the um, tennis format that right, we're all right. sort of familiar with if you want to connect to that. Yeah, and- do, do a big bracket and like you win, you, you win and you're in. You win and you go on. One and done. Yeah, exactly. And they decided after that games that they liked it. And the purpose of this was to weed out the uh, weaker 
the alleged weaker uh, competition, uh, and then they'd get to the best on best faster. And then the games after that, they decided to change things once again, which I was not a part of, but I've always kept my finger on what's gone on. And what they've done since then is they've decided to take for the individual portion. So if they have eight pools of individual, then they would take the top eight athletes and they would say, okay, athlete number one would go in pool one, athlete number two would go in pool two, three, so on and so forth. And then the rest of the names would be randomized uh, from a hat. So then the first name would go into pool A, the second name would go into pool B, and oh, so on and so oh forth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and this is so that you, and you don't even know who's going to be in your pool uh, just before you uh, you you go to the competition. And the reason they're trying this is because then it's really, you get an even playing field because you can't necessarily practice for, you know, such and such opponent does this really well or that really well or there's their weakness or et cetera. So it really opens the door up to uh, what, you know, what could happen and upsets and it, it, it in their minds, it makes the sport flashy. And now they've also decided to divide this into male and female, which has brought up some arguments as to, you know, people want to play the best on best, whether male or female, mm -hmm. and don't want to be divided mm -hmm. into their sex because we've always been a co-ed sport. But, yeah, that's kind of a view of what's changed in some of the para-sports world that I've been connected to and, it, and it's kind of hard to keep track of okay what are they doing this year yeah. <laughs> as i mentioned i just gave you three three different examples in in three different games that, yeah. that have happened so yeah the tinkering tinkering with format to try and get to best on best is interesting but you really can't get a sense of whether your format works if you're only running it running it one time you have to do it a couple times but that's an interesting observation brock i'm always so grateful when you take us into your experience as an elite level paralympian to uh, to share these stories and give that perspective and uh, we always get something to take away from that brock i've got to pause for a second here are you wearing a tuxedo with a blue bow tie Yes, I am. It's it's a it's a it's a blazer with a blue bow tie, and the blue bow tie is brought to you by my attendant slash friend, uh, Catherine Batcher. There's various ones that she has uh, she has bought, so you'll see this uh, coming out. She's noticed that you're wearing blazers, so she feels that I should sometimes match. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Catherine's the best. I love that. Well, Catherine, excellent job uh, with Brock's wardrobe over there. Well done. Uh, Brock, let's turn to the world of hockey, the NHL, and specifically expansion teams. If you look at the top of the Western Conference, and even more specifically the Pacific Division, you'll see two newish names there. The Las Vegas Golden Knights in the first spot, and the Seattle Kraken sitting there in the number two spot. Brock, it's got me thinking about these expansion teams because typically when teams came into the league like Columbus, Minnesota, Atlanta, Ottawa, Tampa, Florida, they would stink, Brock. They would stink. But here we are with two teams who've been introduced in the last six years, both showing a lot of potential and a lot of consistent play over the course of the last couple of years. Do you have a theory on why these expansion teams are performing so well? I do, and it's two separate theories. Uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights, I, I do think uh, there was some untoward activity uh, taking place when George McPhee took over. I do think there was some pretty heavy pushing on, you know, we'd like to take this, you know, we'll do this for you if you give us this guy. I think there was some under-the-table handshaking agreements going on, which in my mind, even though it's not wrong within the expansion draft rules... I think it's pushing the the boundary a bit of what the extent of the, the expansion is for. I, I I think if I look at you know Vegas and I say okay this is they put together a good team, but how did they put together a good team? And I think a lot of it was due to you know being able to stretch the 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 rules and and do that. And so that's what we've seen. I don't think for a second, Dave that a team, an expansion team on their first year should be able to go to the Stanley Cup final and compete for a Stanley Cup. I do not think that's the intention of an expansion team. Now, if we look at the, uh, the Kraken, I think that in this case, this is more of a case of 
Ron Francis understanding how to put together a good team. Mm. I think everyone there's there's loopholes in every rule that you're able to make, and I think Ron Francis has sort of done this, and I think it's more of a a, a kosher way of doing it. I, I still struggle seeing those two teams. Not so much Vegas now because it's a, they they've been in the league for a bit, but I struggle seeing those two expansion teams at the top. And I know a lot of people think, oh, this is cool that you know the expansion teams are there. I didn't. I, again, I repeat, I did not like that the Vegas Golden Knights uh, went to the Stanley Cup final in their first run. Some people would say, oh, this is such a good story. Not for me. I think you are uh, very right to identify the way that Vegas handled the expansion draft and cut a lot of those deals to both get extra draft picks and take some bad contracts from pretty good players onto their team. It was it was really interesting what they did. I was highly critical of the way the Seattle Kraken GM, Ron Francis, handled their expansion draft. I thought he left so many talented players on the table that would have been great additions to that team. But Brock, the one thing he did, and the one thing that perhaps both these expansion teams have figured out is they've entered the conversation at a time of the salary cap. And the thing that Seattle did is they managed their money so, so well in that first year so that they could go into the offseason this year and sign a player like Andre Burakovsky, who's been their top, their top goal scorer and their leading point getter. They just brought in really good players. They were able to go get Oliver Bjornstrand from the Columbus Blue Jackets and take that big contract back because they gave themselves the cap space maneuverability. This is one of the things that's so interesting in the salary cap era. These GMs that get to start from a blank slate get to manage their money and then do something quite shrewd and smart and build a very balanced, deep team. I, I'm really impressed with the way Seattle's gone about their business. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll be honest, and I and I and I second this, and and it's it's going to be what I'm about to say is going to cause a bit of a chuckle. But when I first saw how they were doing the expansion draft, you know, uh, for Seattle, and it was outside, and it was all fancy, and everyone's wearing their sunglasses, and it was very cash. I, I really thought to myself, is this more about the draft and the look of the draft versus the players? And and that's the thing that I thought. I almost didn't take it seriously the way that it just seemed very like gimmicky and, and then and then as I watched it, I agree with you. Some of the players you left on the table were were ones you go, huh? Yeah. Okay, this yeah. is weird. And and this is what led me to think, well, maybe he's more focused on the optics of what the the draft looks like versus putting together a team but i agree this is this is definitely a good team put together and it'll be interesting to see what they do in the run could you imagine if we said you know two years in a two times in a row we've had you know expansion teams run their way to the stanley cup final like that's I would say to you when when it happened to vegas i would say that would never happen again yeah, but yeah. given given what's happening with seattle i don't put it past them to be honest with you <laughs> it's good for the sport but it probably annoys the heck out of some fan bases who haven't won a stanley cup in like 50 years uh brock edmonton? i'm gonna <laughs> yeah edmonton. edmonton there you go it'll annoy the uh, heck out of edmonton uh, brock yeah. hey thanks for this buddy we appreciate it have a great day you too that's brock richardson he's the host of the neutral zone at the ami sports desk alex Smythe is at the ami weather desk Here is our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's snow off and on today with up to two centimeters falling, wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, and a high of one degree. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's virtually the same snow off and on today, up to two centimeters of snow set to fall, the wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, but the high is slightly colder at zero degrees. In St. John, New Brunswick, there's clouds clearing out this morning for sunshine. The high is zero as well, but there is a wind chill that makes it feel like minus nine. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's a mix of sun and clouds. The high also zero degrees, but with the wind chill makes it feel even cooler at minus 11. Here in Toronto, Ontario, bit of an ugly day. It's cloudy with snow or ice this morning. Then it turning to a 60% chance of rain in the afternoon. There is freezing rain in the northern parts of the city and wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. 
The high is three degrees, but as I mentioned with those freezing rain uh, possibilities, there is a warning in effect. To Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's cloudy with heavy snow set to begin around noon with up to 10 centimeters falling. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus two and it's minus 12 with that wind chill. In Brandon, Manitoba, it is cloudy with a chance of snow or freezing rain today. The high is minus six, feeling closer to minus 15. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it is cloudy with a chance of snow or freezing rain as well. There is a fog advisory in effect due to heavy fog in the area. The high is minus seven, feeling like minus 18. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's quite a nice day again. It's a mix of sun and clouds. The high for the area, four degrees. In Red Deer, Alberta, the clouds are clearing out this morning for sunshine. It's a bit cooler. The high is minus three. With a wind chill, it feels like minus 14. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow. The high is minus four. With the wind chill, it's minus 17. In Kelowna, BC, it's a great day. It's mainly sunny and a high of three degrees. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds with increasing cloudiness as the day goes on, and the high is five degrees. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Sean Priest will tell you about the Biped GPS Navigator. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There's a new type of wearable technology that could help people with vision loss navigate more independently. Here to tell you more is Sean Priest from Double Tap. He is in Manchester, England. Hey, good morning, Sean. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well. Always interested to talk about GPS navigators. In this case, it's the biped GPS navigator. What makes this technology different? Ooh, well, that is a good question. Technology for navigation and mobility. It's almost like we got the technology. Now, can we actually use it for mobility? Because so far <laughs> yeah. we've tried, you know, nailing it onto white sticks and into sunglasses. And really, it's been more of a addition rather than a replacement for your traditional guide dog or white stick. Now, this is very much in the same vein, except the way they've gone about it is a little bit more different. And the partners that this company has is what really makes it interesting. The biped is a wearable, as in it's like a, uh, almost like a collar or like a vest you put over your shoulders. And it has incorporated in it um, uh, multiple cameras, but it's got onboard artificial intelligence, our favorite buzzword of the year. <laughs> um, and it's using the same software and the, the same technology. And in fact, they're in partnership with a self-driving car company. Um, they didn't actually say who it is. I've got a feeling it's Toyota. And they're using the same software that are in these self-driving cars. And with that is a huge database of you know, object recognition, uh, pedestrians. They particularly mention e-scooters, which I don't know over in Canada, but in the UK, there's been a lot of Big discussion issue. about the... Big yes, issue for exactly. the blind and low vision community across cities <laughs> who've introduced the pilot project. Exactly, and they go flying past. Um, so they're recognised, uh, and, and this, um, which, which kind of what what does make it different from something like um, I, I don't know, something like people detection or object detection, just using your phone, is that software is that that investment that's gone on for years in self-driving and moving it across to a, a personal, individual, individual, individual wearable device mm. um so it's it's definitely more interesting than just a sonar device which will vibrate when it detects something and now how usable it actually you know, in, in practical terms that's we, we yet, yeah. to, yet to see how that performs that's that's why in the intro i used words like could potentially help possibly help as opposed to yeah, saying yeah, like yeah. it will help right to not, to not do the sales work for them uh, sean what <laughs> what do you know about the way it's communicating data to people is is this still going to be pairing with a set of headphones for example or like it or a bone conduction like set of glasses 
Um, I, I think it does come with its own headphones, and it is a very much a, a standalone device. As okay. I said, you don't okay. pair it with anything. You just connect the battery pack, and it will turn on and start. Um, it uses a series of beeps, like, very much like a parking sensor, but okay. it's got okay. speakers. Uh, that it uses, sorry, spatial audio as well, so it knows when there's an object to the left, to the right. I'm not entirely sure how, it, how you differentiate between what that object is. Um, uh, but the it also comes with a, a companion app, so you can connect it to your smartphone and you know change various settings and, and things like that. So, yeah, this is as I said, a very much a standalone uh, a product. Interesting, and um, it's it's interesting to see how this software stands up. That's that's what I really want. I'd love to get my hands on this to just to give it a you know a run out. Yeah, yeah. What's what's the price tag looking like? Have pricing details been released? Oh, wow, now then. Steady. Now, this is an interesting one, a very I, I controversial get, one. I I'm always sure. get you and Steven with that question. You're always, you're always like, oh, just you wait, Dave. Pens at the ready. Because well, it's always, this technology is really interesting, but wow, look at the price. Now, what they're using for this is a subscription model. Um, which is, I mean, it makes the initial outlay is, you know, because some wearables like the Envision glasses cost thousands of dollars, right? So you can move away from that, except this is $129. That's US. I don't know the Canadian price. $129 a month. And the first uh, first contract is a minimum of 12 months. Okay. So, okay. wow, that is quite a lot. I mean, it, 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 to be honest, it's got to deliver on some pretty impressive mobility um, improvements, I think, to be worth that price over something like an IRA subscription even, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. or, or something else. So, uh, again, uh, we need to wait and see what this is. Now, this is available now. You can go to biped.ai, I believe it's called. You can go there and you can actually, um, you know, order it right now. But I believe also they will offer a, a free trial. So you can you can test this out for a month okay. free. Yeah. Um, so that is one good thing because, well, I mean, to be honest, I think they had to do that because that's quite a substantial monthly subscription, yeah. right? I, I did some really fast math there. You'd be talking about $1,500 US for the year on that one-year contract. And in Canadian yeah. dollars, let's call that about $2,250, right? That, that's over, two, it's certainly over $2,000 for one year. And like, listen, if that's a product that can serve you, that's great, but you've got to give that thing a test drive. You, got, you have to know before you're gonna <laughs> plop down two grand. <laughs> I mean, when you're talking about specialist products, you know, when you think of Braille displays, you know, two, three, five, even ten thousand dollars is yeah, sort of yeah. par for the course, really. So when you put it into those terms, I suppose it isn't too bad. But again, I mean, what does it offer you? That's that's the that's proof it. of yeah. uh, the pudding, really. We yeah. need to see that. Uh, Sean, let's go to the other side of perhaps the cracking of our wallets and credit cards. Apple released <laughs> its newest edition of the Mac Mini earlier this week. And the Mac Mini, you and I you and I have talked about it before. Stephen and I have talked about it before. It is a lot of bang for your buck in terms of entrance into the Apple market. What's really getting some buzz on this one, though, is the continued evolution of the M2 Pro chip or the M2 Apple chip, the processors they're making themselves. Why does this one sort of go up the flagpole as one of the big things that people are excited about on the Mac Mini? Well, because as you rightfully said, the Mac Mini is a really impressive computer anyway. You know, the the it's the entry point really into the Apple ecosystem. I couldn't afford a, a MacBook Pro or anything like that. If I wanted a, a, a an Apple computer, really, the Mac Mini is the only way to go. And being Apple Silicon is all the rage, and rightfully so. It's an amazing processor. Um, the new Mac Mini with the m2 chip it comes in two flavors you can either have the m2 vanilla i suppose or the <laughs> m2 pro chip um but these are i mean incredible performers especially when you compare them to the intel i had a mac mini with the intel chip which was great i used to run windows on it because i love windows <laughs> and it used to work perfectly but with the apple silicon 
um, the performance is so much better, particularly when it comes to media rendering and things like that. It is a fantastic chip. And the Mac Mini itself is a great entry point into there. And having the M2, you know, the latest M2 processors available in that entry point for the computer is fantastic. When it comes to the features on this device, I don't know how deep you want to go under the hood to share this with us. Oof. But frankly, one of the things that, that, I, that needs to be explicitly said about the Mac Mini, it gives you so much freedom as a consumer that you can say, I want this kind of monitor, this kind of keyboard, and you're not stuck inside this Apple yes. ecosystem. It gives you a lot of freedom on customizing your setup. But that, to me, like to me, that would be the feature that makes the Mac Mini so interesting. But you're a little bit more tech-minded than me. What are some of the features that jump off the page to you? No, you are absolutely right. I think the I.O. on a Mac Mini, the input-output, you know, the ports that are available to you are fantastic. And it does mean exactly that. You can mix and match. You're not stuck with one of those... Oh, remember when Apple released the, that terrible keyboard they had oh all those gosh. problems with? You can pick whatever you want. If you've got a particular favorite, I mean, you can Bluetooth the keyboard to it. Uh, as you say, any monitor as well. It's a fantastic little machine. Um, also, you know, the performance is the thing for me. And especially if you go to the M2 Pro, you're talking at least 12 cores of, of uh, yeah, let's not get too geeky, but look, the processor <laughs> runs really It runs well. real good. It, it's very fast. It's more it's more power than you're going to need. Plus, one of the things that really sold the Mac Mini to me was that you could run it headless, which means basically if you get a HDMI dummy connector, you can just, it's got a built-in speaker, you can just use it without a monitor and just have it as a standalone device. Oh, wow. That is really cool. Yeah. That that is that is super cool, uh, Sean. I, I I mentioned that this may be a more accessible entrant point for people to jump into the Apple game. That said, inflation comes for us all. What is the price point <laughs> on the Mac Mini right now? Ooh, now then, okay, so. It's actually a little bit cheaper, I believe. At least over here in the UK, it's fifty pounds cheaper. It wow. used to be six wow. nine nine British pounds. And this new one is actually starting off. Of course, there's many different. You can have more memory and more storage. But the base level starts starts off at six four nine in UK pounds. I believe that's seven nine nine in Canadian. Um, now I don't know the price of the previous. Mac Mini in Canadian dollars, but at least I think if it's not the same price, it may be fifty dollars or a hundred dollars yeah. cheaper. I mean, like that is like, like like again, I I know for like I know eight hundred dollars objectively, people will say that's a lot of money. Like it is. Like certainly, no one's going to be uh, walking out the door yeah. and happy that if eight hundred dollars fell out of their pocket. That said, when you're talking <laughs> about you're talking about value for your money. Considering what like other desktops will cost, right? If if you walk into your local retail Absolutely. store or go onto Amazon, the fact is desktops are running for thousand dollars now. They're running for twelve hundred dollars. I bought one of those all in one dealies a couple of years ago, and I think it was like fourteen hundred dollars. You know, like 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 eight hundred dollars is your entrance point into your into your computer is like quite reasonable considering the power that you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, with things with Apple computers is that they do retain their value for a lot longer because you can use them for a lot longer. You know, they, they, it's not a case of this will last two or three years. This will last at least five, six, maybe even seven years, depending on how many, you know, the cutoff point for the latest OS that they're going to let you have. But they do last a long time. And again, the Apple Silicon, these M, the M1 chip was absolutely amazing and the M2 is even better. So uh, they are definitely value for money and you're right like we're not going to laugh at eight hundred dollars but as you said in the, in the term of desktop computing it's an absolute bargain actually sean i was having a, a drink with the infamous mr f last night uh the manager God bless of you mr AI f audio <laughs> yeah exactly yes. we all must pay tribute to mr f when we can <laughs> and i was mentioning to him that one of the highlights of my day is that ami audio gets pumped into my office here uh at, at the ami headquarters and one of the highlights of my day is when Double Tap Daily hits the airwaves at noon Eastern to hear you and Steven riff and have fun and share a lot of information. So what's coming up on the show today? Thank you. Uh, today, oh, um, wow. Now, <laughs> I think we are actually talking to Biped this afternoon. Oh, sweet. We're going to talk to... 
to uh, Biped and see what is new because they were uh, we did speak to them a couple of years ago when this was in prototype and they were at the last CES. So we talked to them and, and see how it's progressed, you know, how we got to the uh, now being commercially available and a little bit more detail about what they actually offer. So yeah, a bit more on the oh, biped. Right on. Okay, we got a little nibble with Sean here and we'll take the full bite this afternoon <laughs> at noon Eastern on Double Tap Daily. Cheeky. Sean, all the best to you. Take care. Stay warm out there in Manchester and uh, we'll catch up with you in a couple weeks. Will do. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Always a pleasure. That's Sean Priest. He's one of the hosts of Double Tap, which you can find daily at noon Eastern time on AMI-audio or download the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And you certainly want to follow the crew on Twitter at Double Tap On Air, at Double Tap On Air. Coming up after the break, we'll dive into gift giving. Somebody did something really nice for Alex Smythe yesterday, and he wants to tell you all about it. This is Now with Dave Brown on ami Mr. Smythe, how are you, sir? I am doing fine. I can't wait to hear about these flowers. <laughs> Nazreen, I hear you're in the building. Hey, buddy. Yeah, I'm right next to your desk. Oh, no way. All right. I got a yeah. buddy, buddy in my <laughs> bubble today. Sweet. Yeah. Get used to it. <laughs> and hello, Ramya. Hello, Dave. So, so I'll get a visit from you in my bubble and Nazreen in my bubble today. Yeah. This is turning into a good day. Party. <laughs> awesome. Okay, we got everybody standing by. We're back from break in about a minute. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Nazreen Abdelmajid and Ramya Amuthan are standing by. But let's get this roundtable started by handing things over to Alex Smythe. Yeah, so Dave, uh, I had a bit of an unusual and unexpected visit yesterday from my best friend. He, uh, we were talking back and forth. I was having a bit of a, uh, uh, a rough week. And he's like, you know what, are you, are you around? Are you available? Yes. Okay, I'm going to stop by. He's like, oh, okay, this is, I don't know quite what to expect. He shows up at uh, my front door and he brings me a small bouquet of flowers. Aww. And, you know, at, at first I'm thinking, okay, this is unusual, but immediately i'm like well i really i really like having getting a gift of flowers i i don't think i've ever really gotten flowers before from anyone let alone from uh, uh another guy friend so i i wanted to kind of like pose this question to to everyone else on the on the uh, round table it's like have you guys ever received some unusual like or unique unconventional gift before like i got to say i'm thrilled that I have them. I'm excited that I got the flowers, but it's something I never in a million years would have thought of as a gift for me. So, Ramya, let's start with you. Like, have you ever gotten an unusual or an unconventional gift? I think that maybe if I were to dig a little deeper, I probably would have. Like, I could name some of the gifts that I've gotten that would have been qualified to say unusual or atypical. But for me, like any gift is thoughtful. And so I've gotten things from, you know, T-shirts with funny sayings to bottles that look funny, like bottles of alcohol or um, uh, socks and things like that. Just like random stuff, books, whatever. And I find any gift is thoughtful because I'm not a gift giver. I'll just mm, say that outright. Mm. I'm more of, uh, you know, gestures, meals, you know, treats, that kind of thing. I'm not a gift giver. So whenever I get anything, I feel like, oh, thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. Uh, Nazreen, what about you? Uh, ever, ever getting or receiving or giving unconventional gifts? So let's start off with my older sister. So every Valentine's um, day, like she makes little baskets for me and my sister and my mom of little cute things so uh you know self uh, help self-care like stuff so slippers and perfume and things like that it's really adorable but the one thing that stood out for me alex was i actually gave my boyfriend flowers and his oh. face 
he was so happy i was like Aww. he was shocked but he was so happy about it i didn't even think about it i'm like is it okay to get your boyfriend flowers i didn't know what his reaction would be if, if he would like it or not so it's unusual so i really liked it everybody loves getting flowers it, it brightens up your day it adds color to your life it smells good there's so many reasons as to why you want to bring flowers into the mix uh my friend alex munns is a amazing gift giver he is just so thoughtful and he'll always go off the board but in very practical ways when uh on my 18th birthday i inherited my aunt mary's old pool table and the the cues were all beaten up and no good so for my birthday he got me a couple pool cues for the basement. It was like a great, thoughtful gift. It was wonderful. When I first moved out of my parents' place into my own place, the gift he gave me was a little toolbox. Not a big toolbox, not a bunch of stuff, but he said, you are now going to need this because you are now an adult. And I think I've used a grand total of like two tools out of that <laughs> out of that toolbox in the last 15 years, but that's a different story for a different show. So, but there's there really is something about people thinking a little bit off the board, but still thinking pragmatically or practically in the way they give a gift. Alex, I want to know a little bit more about the bouquet that you received. What what, what was in there? Yeah, so it was just a, a almost like a spring variety of flowers. Like I, I'm not a flower guy, so I couldn't name the specific flowers in there. But um, there, it was a whole colorful arrangement. There were uh, ones that were orange, yellow, a bit of dark reds in there, and uh, it, it really kind of. Uh, struck me I, I i'm still have to go back and like look at it every every so often just because it's like I, i'm still processing it's like i i got flowers yeah I gotta take care yeah. of these flowers i gotta <laughs> water these flowers i gotta change the water in these flowers uh nizreen you mentioned this you gave your boyfriend the gift of flowers again there, there's maybe something that's a little bit atypical in terms of gender stereotypes there how does that make you reflect on the way in which we sometimes gender the nature of the gifts that we give to people I think it's uh, it's insane. I feel like nowadays it really doesn't matter. We've always been very gender specific about, okay, girls get chocolate and flowers and guys, they don't get, men they don't get, care for the men get anything. Whiskey, they don't, men get whiskey and, and Exactly, and exactly. And that's the thing. I always struggle with gift giving when it comes to men, like my brother and my dad or my boyfriend, like it's always... Uh, a problem with me I never know what to get but girls there's so much there's so much uh, to offer here but like chocolate and flowers is always known to be like you know the girls will love it but the guys that I've never heard of that giving it to a guy so it was uh yeah it's it's interesting how that progressed you know what men like flip-flops get us some nice slide sandals get and we're, ha here. we're happy we're happy uh Ramya, what about you uh, do you reflect at all on the idea of the way we perhaps gender gifts oh we do it all the time to the point where we don't even think right like the reason why we're having these reactions to flowers being given to alex is like oh do we do that right so i think that it's nice to have people like your friend uh dave who think specifically for the person and try to cater gifts toward the the situation the person it reminds me of my mom my mom will get us whatever as long as she knows that we need it and we would never get it for ourselves like that's basically her <laughs> yeah. her gift giving process right like oh you'd never buy yourself this winter coat here you go and and so but it's true over the years i've always found it way difficult to find a gift for the men in my life my life compared to the women in my life because you can always go with the generic gender specific options for women but you know i don't even know what that is for guys I'm like you said you, alcohol the sure. alcohol and flip-flops belt <laughs> a belt Here's a, yeah, <laughs> I, I got you a tie Ooh, a yeah. wallet that's you see a wallet's <laughs> yeah. a good one a wallet's a good wallet. one Nazarene. anything yes. leather yeah. it's anything with leather yes. is the right. leather bound books yeah. uh, okay let, let's use that as the wrapping up thought here guys alex what makes for a good gift I, I think we've touched on this already, but it's something that is individualized or has a purpose or thought behind it that you're not just buying a gift like a gift card. Oh, here, like go spend it on something. It's like, oh, no, I I know you and I know you need this or you would really appreciate this in this moment. And it's, it's that thought that really goes behind it. Something that there's some sort of 
um, kind of thought process to why this gift is right for you. What makes for a good gift? The answer is cash. Just slide cash into someone's <laughs> pocket. They're going to love it. Nazreen, what makes for a good gift? A well thought out gift. I agree with Alex. Like my friend made um, a box of a bunch of stuff for me, specifically for me, handmade. She put the glitter on the box. She mm. decorated it. It was just well thought out. Uh, so I love that. Around the holidays, when we were talking off the air doing the test shows, uh, I mentioned that a few friends made me baked goods over the holidays as a gift, yep. and you can just give me all the shortbread cookies and I will shove them in my mouth. That's a great idea. Ramya, what makes for a good gift? Honestly, I would love to say, you know, well thought out and all the other ones that have been mentioned already, but because cash. I know myself, you agree with me. Cash. yeah, I agree with you and just anything. I really do uh, believe that it's the gesture that counts. And if you're thinking of me and you get me something or make me something or, you know, treat me to something, I, I love it. Well, generosity is the spirit of the day here on National Popcorn Day. Alex, thank you for bringing this topic. Yeah, thank you, Dave. And uh, clearly we know dough is the secret to uh, your gift giving. <laughs> That's the secret sauce, a whole mess of dough. Uh, Nazreen, thank you for this. I look forward to hanging out with you in the office. You're just down the hall. Thank you so much. And Ramya, you don't get to go away just yet because you are hosting Kelly and Ramya later today at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. What's coming up on the show today? We are talking to tech and audio entertainment contributor Mike Fair, and he's telling us about an audiobook, I'm hearing a little today, um, that provides fun and accessible trivia. So it's an interactive audiobook. We're also talking Curious Minds with Christine Malik, and she's highlighting the OpenAI chatbot because everyone else is on yeah. it. We haven't, <laughs> chat, <laughs> we haven't been chat, on it. ChatGPT. Uh, people, yeah. people are chatting about ChatGPT. A hundred percent. But I think she'll get into the accessibility and such. So we'll talk about that. Uh, and we have our roundtable. The weekly roundtable continues with Kelly McDonald facilitating. And Jim Crisco is joining us today, our content development specialist oh, in Edmonton. Right on. Love hearing from Jim on the show. Always good stuff there. Hey, Ramya, thank you for this. Have yourself a lovely day. We'll see you around the office and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow on air. Sounds good. We'll see you later. That is Ramya Emuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, which comes your way at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv and AMI-audio. Coming up next, Don Dickinson discusses the concern over period tracking apps in the fight for abortion rights. Don will explain that further on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. With Roe v. Wade overturned in the United States, menstruation apps have become a new concern in the fight for abortion and reproductive rights. Don Dickinson is the content curator for Voices of the Walrus on AMI-audio, and Don has, is here to share some more details on the story. Hey, good morning, Don. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm well. So, Don, this is obviously uh, one of the tentacles that came out of last summer's decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. But when Roe v. Wade was leaked, what were women encouraged to do? Well, this was all very surprising to me and totally shocking. Um, social media immediately filled with posts about the impact of this new reality after uh, Roe v. Wade failed uh, or, or, or uh, went down. These concerns uh, included the safety of women's digital data. Mm. Users who had uh, downloaded period tracking apps, didn't even know this existed, Dave, on their phones were urged to delete them immediately. The most popular of these apps, uh, Flow, based on in the UK, and Clue, uh, created in Berlin, were free to download and track not only your next period, but also your most fertile days of the month. In fact, depending on the information entered, the apps can predict the intensity of your menstrual flow, even your specific PMS symptoms. What was the fear associated with keeping these period tracking apps? Well, this was pretty horrifying. Uh, the fear was, in fact, that these apps could be used against these women and reveal a missed period, effectively pointing to a possible pregnancy. In the post-Wade world, apps... Uh, app users were worried that their personal cycle information would be used to prosecute them. 
And I thought, oh, well, this would never happen. But guess what? In fact, it did, Dave. Mm, mm. Um, browser histories were used against a Mississippi woman in um, 2017 who had experienced a full-term stillbirth at home. Prosecutors used the search history on her phone as part of her pregnancy termination case against her. Oh, and a grand jury... Are you waiting for this, Dave? Indicted her on second-degree murder oh charges. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah. My gosh. The case was later dropped three years later, but you can imagine what that poor woman went through. I mean, disgusting behavior. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It, it's it's interesting talking to people uh, like yourself, Don, who were there in the early '70s, like who who, yeah. who who like as this decision went through, like you lived it, and here we are, 50 years later, and it feels like we're taking these massive steps back. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right, Dave. I, I lived this, you know, and it was for these changes. And I I, I supported as, as much as I could for women to have control, total control over their bodies and, and to have it go back. Uh, you know, it, it just feels it just feels terrible what yeah, they're doing in the States. Yeah. What, what What's the Canadian lens here? Do, do the apps pose the same concern in Canada? Okay, well, Canada doesn't have a criminal law restricting abortion right, right. in any way. Thank God, uh, abortion is uh, completely decriminalized here. Uh, nevertheless, uh, Jennifer May uh, Newhook, a, a mother of four, has already deleted her apps, and she she quoted um, she was quoted saying, "Political moods often seep across our borders. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be silly to think that it couldn't happen in Canada." So you have to, yeah, big, and it's absolutely true. You know, we 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 are inundated by the U.S. news and and inundated by uh, social media from the U.S. And uh, so you have to be very careful about what's coming. Yeah, I mean Margaret Atwood knows her stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. it, and it's like what Pierre Pierre Trudeau said back in the day: when an elephant sleeps with a mouse, the mouse must be acutely aware of every time the <laughs> elephant moves. Um, yes, that's right. <laughs> um, Don, let's go to something different here. Oh my gosh, here we go! Everyone, uh, get your sleeping pills ready as we talk about the notwithstanding clause. Uh, over to your second feature article from the Walrus. Critics are saying the notwithstanding clause is a threat to Canadian rights. And freedoms and should be stripped from the Constitution. Don, there's a question here. I'm going to ask it just as it's written in the script, and I really look forward to seeing if you can do this in less than eight minutes. What is the notwithstanding clause? Okay, well, first of all, <laughs> let me just say that the article itself is extensive. It's written by Ira Wells, and it goes into a lot of the details, but we're just going to be, you know, very cursory <laughs> here. So basically what the clause is, and this is the really stripped-down version, Dave, okay? Uh, the notwithstanding clause, or Section 33 of the Charter, gives parliaments in Canada the power to override certain portions of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms when passing legislation over a five, uh, this is for a five-year term. So um, that's the really simple stripped-down yeah, version. That was well done. If In my in my <laughs> Canadian public policy class in my first year at McGill, they would have been very impressed by that. Full marks on the paper for Don <laughs> with that one. Don, the notwithstanding clause is a term that gets bantied about quite a bit in the media. How, what's an example of how the clause was recently used? Well, recently, um, of course, Doug Ford, Doug Ford's conservatives um, used it. They faced a long simmering crisis with the, after the pandemic because, of course, the Ontario schools had been closed for months and months. And uh, the, the Canadian Union of Public Employees, or CUPE as they are known, representing 55,000 educational support workers and teachers were threatening a strike. And of course, this would have not been good for Ford and his popularity. So he responded with um, what's known as Keeping Students in Class Act, which imposed a new collective agreement backed by Section 33 of the Notwithstanding uh, Clause. So the so-called uh, clause allowed them to uh, restrict the right to strike. And of mm. course, that is one of the fundamental uh, rights that uh, Canadians do have. Yeah, and another example that comes to mind for me were some of the uh, religious laws in Quebec yes. where, where, the, uh, where the Premier Francois Legault 
preemptively used the notwithstanding clause, said we're not even going to wait for someone to challenge us on this. We're just going to straight up say, no, no, we're notwithstanding clausing this and it's not going in front of the courts and we're going to do as we please, which then starts boiling up to the federal level, right? These are the provinces exactly. using, using the clause to say, oh, we're going to do what we want, but these things do fall at the feet of the federal government as well. So what right. has the prime minister had to say on its use? Well, basically, I mean, and we could see this coming, right? Because Justin Trudeau criticized Ford's very cavalier uh, use of Section uh, 33. The suspension of rights, oh, this is a direct quote, by the way. The suspension of uh, people's rights is something that we should not, we should only do in the most ex exceptional circumstances. Uh, Trudeau told reporters, and I really hope that all politicians um, uh, do not you overuse uh, the notwithstanding clause. And then you have to remember that there's a reason um, that this is, of course, the case with uh, Justin, not only his own personal opinion, but of course, it, this all started with his dad, right? Who who brought in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Um, Don, it's it's that was so well done. You took a constitutional law article and uh, made it quite entertaining and digestible. But as you say, this one is a really good listen on the show because of the way it goes in depth. And because this is one of those moments where you can learn something about the way in which our political system operates, as opposed to just complaining about our political system, it's nice to actually know how the machinations pop up, how the, how the gears turn, so to speak. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's the same uh, same point I made earlier. When you were around with this, I mean, I was around when P Pierre, good old Pat, Pierre Elliott, uh, <laughs> brought this in, you know, and uh, before the early 1980s, Canada was still legally a colony of the, of Great Britain, right? And uh, so, of course, he, he changed all that. He brought in uh, this new wonderful uh, constitution that we have. And he, back then, tried very, very, very hard to bring it in unanimously. But, of course, he got great um, uh, kickback from the, the various uh, uh, provincial uh, mm -hmm. uh, leaders, mm -hmm. right? And that's why the notwithstanding clause came into effect, because there were certain provinces that would not, not go along with it unless there was a how would you say an out? Yeah, right? yeah, that was, then, the, that, that was the biggest concession they had to make to get the Constitution put together. Yeah, and that was the out, you know, because basically it's it's saying we're going to do this, except yeah, yeah. if we <laughs> if we do this, we're, we're going to legislate, and who cares what the courts think? Uh, Don, yeah. this was excellent. Thank you. It's always great to chat with you. Have yourself a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend. Okay, Dave. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Don Dickinson, content curator for Voices of the Walrus. You can find that show weekends at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. That's all the time we have for the show today. Don't worry. We'll be back again tomorrow morning. Joita Gupta and Michelle McQuig will stop by for another edition of the News Panel. And for the first time this year, we talked to Greg David. Well, not the first time because he was on the news quiz last Tuesday, but Greg is stopping by for his regular television segment. So we'll discuss what's going on in the world of TV. 9 a.m. Eastern time. That's when the show kicks off right here on AMI-tv. Big thank you to our guests today, David Lepofsky, Ryan Chin, Sean Priest, and you just heard from Don Dickinson. And a big thank you to you out there in the viewer vortex or listener land if you're listening on the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. Until we do this thing again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time, I am Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.